We're going to look at Revelation 14. If you look at chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, they say a lot of the same things that happened in 14, but just in a different way. And the whole book of Revelation is uh, written, it's the $20 word recapitulation. It repeats itself. Uh, it's going to go through these cycles and it's going to say the same things. And so uh, there's a lot of tricky things along the way. I'm not trying to dodge those. If you want to talk about uh, the, the millennial, the thousand-year reign, we can talk about that. Uh, but I want to talk just basic, on basic level, what's Revelation trying to encourage within us? And so I, um, I want to just spend time in chapter 14 instead of trying to cover a whole lot, not very well. Uh, so we'll be in Revelation chapter 14, if you want to be ready uh, to read there. I was reminded uh, this week as I was studying and trying to think of just some illustrations, some things to bring this forward, uh, I was reminded of the Chihuahua on the Taco Bell commercial. What is it that he said? What did he tell us? Yokiro Taco Bell. You know, that was the greatest uh, ad slogan ever, but... If we're being truthful and honest, Yokiro Taco Bell, no one really goes around saying, I want Taco Bell. Really, the slogan should have been, this is what's easiest right now, and we're all going to regret it later. <laughs> right? That's, but they, you know, they ran that up the ladder at the marketing team, and nobody really caught on. It was the Yokiro Taco Bell, which is one of three phrases that I know in Spanish. Yo quiero Taco Bell, I want Taco Bell. And then there's, uh, donde esta el baño, where's the bathroom? And then Jesus te ama, which is Jesus loves you. And really, if you're in Mexico, all you really need is those two phrases. Where's the bathroom and Jesus loves you. And you can go on any Spanish-speaking mission trip that you'll ever need to go on. I promise you, that's what I've gotten by with. And Mason can attest that is true. Um, or really loud English. That's, that's really effective. Uh, so Yukiro Taco Bell, the easiest, it's the easiest decision right, right now in the moment, but you regret it later. When I was uh, in college, uh, my roommate and I, Ricky, we joked, uh, and this is, this is terrible, and you're all going to look down on me, but I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm going to share with you. Uh, we, Ricky and I had what we called our third roommate, uh, our third roommate was like a 100-gallon bag of trash. Like, it was the largest bag of trash that you could get. And we just filled it to the brim, and we never took it out of our room. Um, we called him Steve. We would reference Steve. Oh, throw it at Steve. And, you know, it was, it was bad. Now, the thing that happens... When you reach such a low state in your life, and I'm getting faces from the women in the crowd, I want you to know that I wooed Wendy despite Steve being in my room. She saw something in me. So before you cast judgment, Wendy's not so sure about it now. She's bringing back memories. I talked to Ricky this week, and I was like, hey, do you remember Steve? And he goes, oh, I remember Steve. Now what happens when you have a 100-gallon bag of trash in your room is, people have utter contempt for the rest of your dorm room. Like, it's not like you're living in such high class that people are like, oh, we need to come in here and be proper, you know, take off our shoes, be polite, you know, clean up after yourselves, you know, be polite and respectable-like. 
No, there, there was none of that going on. Jared, I could still, you know, be mad at him to this day. I haven't forgiven him about it. He was eating Chef Boyardee in our room. He spilled Chef Boyardee on the carpet, and he didn't pick it up. And I said, Jared, are you just going to leave that there? And he said, yeah, because Steve is here. And so then it was just like, you know, just utter contempt for our dorm. We chose the easiest path, which was to, you know, just leave Steve in our room and talk bad about him and call him a piece of garbage. And we just left him in there the entire time. And then there was this thing called uh, a $35 fine for not cleaning your dorm room at Great Lakes Christian College. And we would we would uh, call it a 3-5. And so we had the looming threat of a 3-5. And so we wouldn't clean up our room until it was dorm inspection time. And then it would be a whirlwind and a, a flurry of uh, picking up after ourselves. The problem with that approach was is, uh, that as soon as we did all of that, then we would just bring Steve back into the room. Like we would start another bag and it would start all over again we realized that choosing the easiest path, because we always dodged the 3-5. We were good enough at cleaning up. We could do it. The problem happened one day when our room had reached its disastrous state again. And Ricky, I want, Ricky was messy. And when I talked to him this week, he goes, you know, I think a lot of that was my fault. And I was like, you bet it was, you know. Because he would, we would clean the dorm, and literally after the dorm room inspection, Ricky would come in and, he would need socks, and he had a specific pair of socks because, well, you have to meet Ricky. But uh, uh, he would throw everything all over the place, and then we'd be messy again. It was just like, I don't know why we're even trying. Uh, but I was sitting, and I was doing some work. I was actually, you know, working on school, and uh, if I remember it correctly, probably not. That might be a preacher embellishment. But uh, I hear this blood-curdling scream. I'm like, Ricky, what's wrong? What's wrong? Well, our room had reached a disastrous state yet again. And I see Ricky sitting on the couch. I beg your pardon, communion table. And he had his foot up on the couch. And there was a toothpick lodged in his foot. And he was screaming from it. And it was just like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And I was like, I think that we need to, you know, examine our lifestyle choices here when a toothpick gets lodged in your foot. Uh, so, you know, we're having some existential sort of thought process about our lives and the decisions we make. And I was like, Ricky, we've got to get that toothpick out of there. Well, I would tug on it, and it wasn't coming out. And I probably should have just been a little braver and said, you know, here, bite this and I'll pull it out. I was like, Ricky, I think we have to go to the emergency room. And so I took Ricky to the emergency room to take the toothpick out of his foot because we didn't know how to clean up our room because we chose the easiest path in the moment instead of, you know, taking your trash outside to the garbage bins. Uh, but in fairness, I mean, they were like a half block away, you know. So uh, choosing the easiest decision in the moment usually has disastrous consequences later. And I promise you... That actually is the message of Revelation 14. That there is an easy way to go and there's disastrous consequences. You know, I've described the book of Revelation in a simple outline. And that is, God wins. You pick a side. Don't be stupid. The problem is, we can know that God wins... And we can know the right decision to make. 
it's not so simple to make the right decision. It's not as simple as we'd like it to be because there's so much opposition to choosing the side that wins. Because it doesn't appear as though that the Lamb's way and the Lamb's power is something that we want to get behind. But over and over again along the way, John is trying to tell us, and he keeps repeating himself, this power of this Lamb is something that we can get behind, that we can trust, and we can know beyond certainty that Jesus is victorious over sin and over death. But as there's so much opposition, so much frustration, so many things going on in our daily lives and so many pressures, that it's just like, how do we keep doing this? How do I stay faithful? How do I stay trusting with Christ? So perhaps you've sensed that in your own walk with Christ. This own sort of journey of saying, you know, I want to press on in my faith, but I feel like it's uh, just a little bit too hard. It's a little too discouraging. You're not really sure what the uh, next step is for you, or you feel like you've compromised one faith decision after the next, and it's just kind of like, uh, what am I doing? Uh, there's, uh, there's a preacher story uh, out there uh, that I heard from my friend Mark. And uh, the minister... Uh, had a youth minister, and he called him up on stage because he wanted to show an example of love and service. So the youth minister, he had an Irish setter dog, and uh, he loved the dog, the youth minister did, he cared so much about the dog. It was really sick for a couple of days, and the youth minister, he went to the veterinary hospital, and he stayed multiple nights with his dog, while he was recovering from whatever illness he was having. So then uh, there was deep love and affection and loyalty between the dog and the owner. Well, the minister, knowing this, he invited the youth minister on the stage, and he invited uh, his dog as well. And he had a little ball in his hand, and the minister chucks the ball down the center aisle, and he tells the dog, fetch. And the dog just sat there. It didn't move. Didn't budge at all. And then he called up the, a banker in the church. And uh, as baker, bankers know, uh, Zach, I could call him up, and he would just have a wad of cash ready to go. And he started waving the money in front of the dog, and he said, fetch. And the dog just stayed. So the dog didn't listen to church authority. The dog didn't jump for money. So then the preacher was like, okay, I know. I know what will get him. And so he, he called up a beautiful young lady from the college campus. Uh, and he said, you come on up here. And, and he said to the do- or she said to the dog, after she petted him and whispered in his ear, she began saying, okay, now it's time to fetch. Now the minister said, you know, the dog flinched a little for the girl, but it didn't, it didn't take. And he just sat there and he said, okay. And the youth minister came up, and he said, fetch. And the dog bolted down and came right back and brought it. And he said this, that the dog was loyal to the one that he knew loved him, the one who cared for him. He was willing to listen and fetch and be obedient to the one who showed his love and compassion for him. 
And here's the hook. Who are we listening to? Whom are we fetching for? And what I find my ongoing tension in relationship with God is that I have so many different voices that I'm willing to listen to. And the challenge of this scripture and the challenge of this text is to say, will I follow the Lamb to where He is calling me to go? Will I follow the one that I know has laid down His life for me? And so let's look in our text this morning. It says in Revelation 14.1, Then I look, and there before me was a Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of the harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever they go wherever he goes. They were purchased from among the human race and offered as first fruits the God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Did you hear that? The children of God follow the one that has loved them, the one that they love. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to follow the Lamb. But that's the point. It's not the easiest path that's the best way. It's the most difficult. And we're being asked to trust that the one who's laid down his life for us knows what's best for us. And so as we look at our text this morning, we see a couple of things that should be pointed out. The lamb is standing on Mount Zion. If you're paying attention last week, we heard about the dragon and the beast. What are the what is the beast standing on? Just a little pop quiz. He's standing on the seashore. Where is the lamb standing? On Mount Zion. We should get a... At, Revelation's a picture book. The dragon, the beast, it's on shaky ground. The wise man built his house, what? On the rock? The foolish man on the sea? This is a point about the frailty of this beast, this dragon. We talked about it being the Roman Empire. We wouldn't think that this is something that would crumble, but in fact it will. Babylon will fall. We'll get into that in the text. But right now the picture you need to have in your mind is that the lamb is standing on the solid ground of Mount Zion. It's a picture book offering us the assurance that we can follow and trust in the way of the Lamb, that He will stay standing, that He is the one who is strong. It's not the mighty, um, it's not the mighty power of this beast and this dragon. The picture that we need to see is the humility of the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. He's the one that we can trust. He's the one that we'll give our lives to. So this picture sort of continues. Then I saw, this is verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the, the earth, to every nation, to every tribe, to every language, and to every people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. 
Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Revelation is a book about worship. It's about who you decide to worship. And the message is that we need to give our worship and honor and praise to God only. Fear God. Fear God and give him glory. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth. It's a call for us to worship Christ. We are a people who are of the eternal gospel proclaiming the message of Christ, that He is Lord and that He is King. John is reminding his hearers, his listeners, of the gospel that they proclaim. In a world that was proclaiming Caesar as Son of God, he's reminding them, we have an eternal gospel to proclaim, that Jesus is Lord. And so we do more than offer just words of praise We live it out. And this whole section is about loyalty. It's about loyalty to the Lamb. If you look back in the people of their description, it says that they are called virgins. And it's not because of their sexual virginity. It's because of their spiritual purity. And that's such an important point, that these people have not lived such lives of idolatry and immorality and turning themselves towards false worship. The description of the 144,000 is that of people who have loved the Lord and sought Him with their whole hearts. And Jesus has their heart. And they're being described as the bride of Christ, being ready to be joined with Him. It's a beautiful picture. And the King is on the solid rock in the Mount Zion. But then there comes a word of warning. And the word of warning is that many have fallen, many have done what is easiest in the moment, and there are terrible consequences to face. Verse 8, a second angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all of the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength in the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. I know this is the cheeriest passage I could have chosen, but it's the cold hard reality that for the Christians in the ancient world, they faced very real consequences for not giving their loyalty to the Roman Empire. Much like the three friends that we read about in the book of Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, I always try to remember their Hebrew names. We should remember them for their Hebrew names. Azariah, Mishael, and I forget it. We should learn it, though, guys. But they were locked uh, into the fiery furnace for for their unwillingness to offer worship to the idolatry that Nebuchadnezzar presented. So too, still Christians today face dire consequences for not giving up their worship and adoration. 
as you can imagine, it would have been easier to pledge allegiance than to give loyalty to whoever uh, and to give their loyalty to whoever was asking for it. But the uh, Revelation's point is this. It's easier to fit in than to be faithful. It's easier to submit to the pressure culturally than it is to stand for the truth. It's easier to carry on the economic practices of that ancient world that brought poverty to so many so that they could still live comfortably. We still face these pressures today. The pressures to give in, to be shaped by the world, and to offer our allegiance and devotion to whatever makes us feel good in the moment. We choose the easiest path. The path of least resistance. The path that won't let us get noticed. In the world today, it can still be illegal to be a Christian and to worship Christ. In China, we looked back in September and October of a, uh, of a Chinese minister who was, who was uh, imprisoned for um, continuing to meet as a church body. And the Communist Party uh, arrested him and he released a letter and he said, you can do all that you want to me but I'm not going to break the law of my loyalty to Jesus Christ. And he suffered the consequences for it, facing arrest. We look, uh, I saw in the news uh, just a couple of weeks ago that there was in India uh, Christians who were being killed for following Christ. All around the world there is pressure, pressure to give their allegiance and give their devotion to something other than Christ. It doesn't really feel that way in America, though, does it? I'm not too worried about things right now. But there is something I am worried about. That I am perhaps live my life in such a way that it's not even worth being persecuted for. That at times I look so much like the world that there's nothing to really discern me as one who's living out my faith for Christ that I've arranged my life so comfortably that there's nothing there to threat, uh, that's a threat in the kingdoms of the world. It's a hard challenge on my own walk to say, am I just fitting in? Am I just being comfortable? Am I just choosing the easy path? Have I invited Steve into my life all over again, only it's my faith that's falling apart? Choosing the easiest path when it comes to our faith reaps disastrous consequences. That's the message of Revelation 14. And to those who are facing the very real consequences of a Roman Empire that's bearing down on them, Revelation 14 is an encouragement. They're going to get theirs. But it was also written to another group of people And that group of people were those who compromised and chose the easy path. And what the message is to them is as simple as this. Repent. Change. Return back to God. Give your loyalty and your love and your devotion to Him. Stop choosing the easiest path and start choosing the path of the Lamb. You know, Jesus, he says to us that it's not going to be easy. He says in the Sermon on the Mount that uh, lots of people will choose the way of destruction, that it's a wide path and it's a wide gate and many will enter through it. But then he says there's a narrow path and a narrow gate and only a few people will find it. 
And I have found in my walk it is so easy to just join the well-trodden path of the rest of the world, and it is so difficult to find the way of Jesus and His humility and His love and His patience and His kindness for it to not be all about me, but to find the narrow way. And this message is about encouraging you. Will you find the narrow way of Jesus? And will you choose to follow it? Not being discouraged, not feeling like it's an uphill battle, but just to find yourself saying, I want to seek the narrow way of Jesus Christ. I want to follow the Lamb up Mount Zion. I want to follow Him. And the real, the real challenge is, is that I have found... I have found that it's a lot easier to try and live comfortably than to notice what's going on within me. Uh, I've gone with Mason and some friends to Punta Cana a couple of different times. We've gone there to serve the Dominicans and the Haitians that are living in poverty. The Haitians have occupied a part of Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic I don't know, maybe 10 square miles? How long? Is that about it? 10 square miles, and there's several thousand Haitians living in this uh, small part of the world. And it's the worst sort of poverty you would ever see. If you go about a couple of miles um, towards the coast in, from the Haitian village, you will find some of the most opulent and luxurious uh, resorts that the world has to offer. And each and every one of those resorts is built off the backs of the Haitians. And there they are still living in the midst of absolute poverty and destruction. And the things that I wrestle with are the same things that John's wrestling with. John is very concerned about people who are just out for themselves are just there to take advantage and to live as comfortably as possible. And he's saying there's very real consequences for people who continually disregard, disregard what these economic practices, what the empire is doing, what all of this destructiveness is doing to the lives of human people and human lives. It's so easy for us to take the easy path. And the easy path of ignorance I was reminded of uh, uh, this sort of old story of a sheik, who, uh, an Arab sheik who went into his tent at the end of the day. He turned on the candlelight, or he, he lit the candle, and he pulled up a date to eat it. And as he was going to take a bite, he saw that there was a worm in the middle of the date, so he threw it to the side, and he picked up another date to eat it. And there was another worm, and so he threw it aside. And then before he picked up the third date, he blew out the candle, and he picked it up, and he ate it. Are we ignorant? Do we choose ignorance as bliss as a sort of spiritual transformation path for us? Do we just say, everything's all right, and turn the candle candlelight out or do we want God to do some serious heart work on each of us and ask that he would shine light on our brokenness on our sinfulness will we ask that 
God would do something in our hearts and our lives to transform us. Ignorance is bliss. is not a transformational approach that God is, wants to work with. He wants us to look at our lives and examine and say, how am I living so comfortably and not concerned about the ways of Jesus Christ? And so this text challenges us in a couple of different ways at the very least. but he offers us encouragement. He says in verse 12, after the destruction, after all of this, he says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow Him. And if you pick up on it, the message is is that if you choose the easy way, there will be dire consequences. But if you choose the hard way, you'll be blessed. He says that those who die in the Lord are blessed. That those who have given their entire lives and their devotion to Him, they can hang their hat on and they can know without the shadow of doubt and believe and trust that Jesus is victorious over death and there's hope and salvation for you. And so here's your sort of practical application. If you're tracking with me, the easy way has consequences. And the difficult path of following the Lamb leads to life. And so here's your practical challenge. And I don't know what it is for your journey. I don't know what your story is. But I just want to offer you this. Would you choose one hard thing this week? Would you choose one hard thing and follow through? Maybe it's one hard conversation with someone that you know needs to know a little bit more about Jesus Christ. Maybe it's one hard conversation to have with your spouse that you need to work through and reconcile and forgive. Maybe it's one hard conversation with a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe it's one hard conversation with between you and God and the sin that's going on in your life. But it's got to be one hard thing this week. You know, my dad, he would give me a list of things to do. I'd work for him, and it was good and glorious. I liked sweeping. But I didn't like um, emptying the water buckets upstairs. Um, it's a leaky roof. It's 160 years old. We've tried fixing the roof. We've resorted to buckets, and we've called it good. The worst job in the world is to empty the buckets out of the attic in the feed store. You don't know if you run into mice, maybe. That's a freaky part, but it's just the stinky, nasty, gross water, and you've got to dump it out. Dad would give me a list. If I had it my way, I would just always choose the easy thing. But if I didn't handle the hard thing first, it would only get worse. I have found that when you do the hard thing that first time and you get the momentum going and you say, you know, I've done this one hard thing. I think I can do the next hard thing. I don't know what the Spirit has impressed on your heart. But I know that He will go with you. 
And I know that He will strengthen you and help you and give us the courage that we need. And so I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer. I'm going to ask Him to reveal to us the hard thing that we all need to do. And at the end of it, if you agree with it, I would simply ask that you would say, Amen. Which is our way of saying, so let it be. Let's pray. God, your word gives us courage. Courage because the Lamb is on Mount Zion. And the loyal ones who have been faithful to you are all singing a song. God, we don't yet know what the lyrics are of that song. But we imagine that we will say that your faithfulness is great and that your mercy is abounding and that your grace is with us. And so God, we pray that the lyrics of heaven might echo in our hearts and give us the courage in this moment to do one brave, hard, difficult thing and finding the narrow gate and narrow path of the way of your son. God, give us insight this moment into our hearts, into our lives and what that one hard thing is that we might have the strength, that we might have the opportunity, the right moment, that we would know it and as your spirit prompts us that we would have the courage to open our mouth, that we might have the courage to open the door, that we might have the courage to make the one next step for one conversation, for one moment, one act of service, one act of kindness, one act of mercy, one act of forgiveness. God, whatever it is for each of us, that as your church we would leave here with an understanding, a deep sense of peace about what the next hard thing is. To walk away from our job, to trust in you, to have a hard conversation with our boss, God, to reconcile our marriage, to act faithfully and trust in you. God, we trust you. And we trust your spirit to lead us and to go with us and to help us be your church. And so we pray this prayer, God, and we ask that you would let it be. And all those who are in agreement with this prayer and this plea, God, we say, Amen. Let's uh, continue in our worship and our closing as the worship team comes forward. If you need encouragement, this isn't one of those messages where I throw it all out there and you're wondering what God is doing next with you. If you need encouragement, call me and let's pray together. If you need help, Let's figure it out. But this text is all about a moment that you have to make a decision. Are you going to follow the easy way? Or are you going to follow the way of Christ? And it all begins for every single one of us by giving our lives to Him. And if you haven't done that, I don't know what you're waiting for. The text is clear. It, it's a hard way but the way leads to life. 
Let's stand and sing. No turning back, no turning back.